I can only imagine how profound this is going to be. It's not profound. Hey, it man, I once uh, crossed into Canada once yeah. and realized I was just in Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't that profound. Um, we, we were on, like, one of our epic road trips, and we're like, we're going to Vancouver. So we drove from Florida all through the U.S. and ended up on Vancouver Island and took the ferry uh, through the San Juan Strait or whatever it is and ended up at um sydney or whatever it was uh in on vancouver island and we uh we drive in and they have us pull over and they they check the car it's customs and you think oh this is canada it's just like a big state of america right and you're like no we're a country and they're very nice and they're like pull over and uh, they're asking you a bunch of questions that's fine and they're just inspecting the car and um the one uh mountie said um do you have bear spray or do you have pepper spray and i said yeah yeah i have pepper spray he said get out of the car and i was like what so i get out of the car and they literally open our car and they empty everything they empty all of my clothes they overturn the chairs they they pull it all out and bro is lecturing me and goes, you know, that's considered a concealed weapon in Canada. I said, come on. No, he said, and he, he deadpan serious. He's like, this isn't America, bro. And he's like, that, there's, we, ha we have our own laws up here. And like, apparently some Texan, pew, pew, like, here's the guns. But like, apparently it's a serious deal that pepper spray that's on a keychain is, is, is bad. And he said, it would have been better if you would have had bear spray. Now I think he's making jokes. And I'm like, yeah, right. And he's like, you don't think I'm serious? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, having bear spray like this isn't considered concealed weapon. Get it right. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, what is wrong with these? I thought these people were supposed to be nice. And so we had to repack the entire car. But everyone else in Canada was great. But it was like a bizarro experience that I've never experienced. But everyone's got their laws. you got to respect it. And I didn't. Welcome to Not Crypto Bros. <laughs> we're alive the story was gonna be that oh what's up what's up tristan i thought the story was gonna be oh, that they went through your entire car and then finally you said oh no here's my ledger and oh, you have your hand on your keys because you keep it always on your keys <laughs> it's like it's right here it's just floating around and, oh and then God. just in case like my seed phrase <laughs> is in my google keep just in case I can't find it anywhere. And it's just like a big photo of my seed phrase. <laughs> just so everyone knows. You're not knows. supposed to do that. What's <laughs> the point? You, you give You're not the supposed to, to ever put it into anything <laughs> digital, put it on the internet, Graham. Yeah, Google's AI could probably crawl all of its data and find like seed phrase. Like it's written really big in capital letters. Here's my seed phrase. Okay, probably. everyone listening, do not do what Grant does ever. <laughs> Do not walk around, go to the not club with your ledger. Advice. Don't upload your <laughs> don't upload your seed phrase to Google Drive and think it's chill. No. <laughs> so shout out to Tristan in the comments. Tristan, I finally ended up on a phone call last week. He's a totally cool guy. I was gonna say young man. Uh, he's a totally cool guy. I mean, he is young, but he's murdering it. He's doing fantastic. He's got some VC deals, not to not to um, impress anyone, but to impress upon him that you can be young and killing it. And this guy's doing it. He found his own um, niche skill as a sales consultant. And, he, and he's helping, I think, George Pate, if I'm not mistaken. 
with LiFi try to do some marketing out there and to try to do some fundraising for that. So cool guy. Shout out to Tristan, man. So how are we doing on a Tuesday, boys? Jay, how are you okay. doing? Okay, for Tuesday. Uh, I feel like I live for the weekends nowadays. I live, you live for the freaking weekend. Yeah. <laughs> so Jay, how was your weekend then? Yeah, yeah. Quiet. It was quiet. Yeah. Usually so I just like sleep as much as yeah roger williams with wi-fi not not george pate yeah my apologies roger williams not george pate so yeah so jay you sleep on the weekend so are you turning into an old fart jay you don't go out so it feels like it yeah it feels like it feels like i'm an old man but i I feel like some of that is like the post lockdown uh just effects of not feeling the need to go out or do anything just hang out at home i got doordash i'm peopled out did you see this article, boys, um, from Mark Benioff, uh, if I'm saying his name right, um, from Salesforce? And he was talking about how Gen Z, he said, listen, we've done a lot of research into like the new generation coming into work. And there's been productivity issues. And we know that um, generationalism is a big thing in the workplace. But he said, the paradox I'm dealing with is there's a lot of people who are entering the workforce for the first time post-COVID in droves. They've never worked for anyone else. And they're reaching out to HR and they're going, no, no, I want to work remote, but I feel disconnected from my coworkers. I don't feel like I understand my place in this ecosystem. What do I do? And it's like, you can't have it both ways, junior. Like, I mean, it's like, you know, I don't know how to help you, man. So there's this, they haven't solved for this. So it's been kind of challenging. And then HP threw in uh, a, a survey of 10,000 office workers or or 10,000 like white collar workers. And the survey comes back and says, Gen Z is 10 times more likely to not know how to run their laptop than the seniors that they spend hours. They, because like, you you know, you know, the story of like, oh, this young, this young generation is going to help me figure out my social media and they're on the phone helping them figure it. But it's now been limited to social media and social media platforms. But they grew up with super convenient computers. Like, you know, yes. Apple is, is Apple product. Oh, the, or, the Chromebooks. The Chromebooks. You turn it, it on and it just works. If, if, if like, I, I heard about this too in college. It's a college professors are saying that when they get new computer science students, yeah. they don't even know how to, like, find stuff in folders. That's right. Be, they don't because, know how to search folders. Yeah. Yeah. Because they've, they've grown up with, with Chromebooks. You get Chromebooks in, in high school. So... And you just do a search. The the Windows Drive system, like that, that's alien to them. Well, yeah. And and so whether it's Google Chrome or whether it's Apple products, these are so user-friendly, which is their selling point. Um, This is so user-friendly, which is their selling point, that they don't know, like, hey, change those settings. Change the display settings. Change your sound settings. Make that network connection. Connect to the Wi-Fi. And they're like, what are you even talking about like i grew up with a pc and and they were a bit more difficult to get started in but i actually knew how the thing worked you know Mm -hmm. and so i I say that to say like this there is there's a coming you mentioned the the post-covid malaise and i guess you triggered me where there's this idea of man i feel for this generation coming in because they're already dealing with like paranoia and feeling you know um what is it imposter syndrome and then also feeling like the new kid on the block and also not knowing where they where they stand when it comes to things like, 
you know, do I have value to add now with chat GPT? Do I have any value to add? But on top of all of that, that like they're digital natives. Now we've gone from digital natives to remote work natives. And they're like, I want to be in an office somewhere with people. And the company's like, we sold our offices. Like, so what are you talking about? So that's tough, man. But I feel you. So how are you going to come out of your post COVID? Not that you were necessarily sick for two and a half years, but how are you going to, how are you going to, is there a craving? Let me ask this. Is there a craving to resolve that, to be more yeah, social? I, I, I think there is. And I think probably what I end up doing is, is just doing something drastic, like moving or something and just get, getting, being in a place where you sort, you sort of have to start over and sure. try to meet new people and go out and, and you know, figure yeah. out where the local grocery store is and have conversations that type of stuff. So maybe yeah. it's something like that. Hope maybe it doesn't need to be that drastic, but it's something massive that 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 just move moves the whole moves the chain. But y- you mentioned something, and it made me think of this uh, uh, chat chat GPT. Is that yeah. how the GP, chat GPT? Yep. Uh, that is so amazing. Right? You started playing with it. I haven't. Pl- I've been just like looking at other people play with it. Bro. See what see what they can do. We'll see what they're doing. It's so amazing. Yeah, I've w- when I was in Halifax. This was one of the things that I used to talk to my boss about all the time that, you know, like we're training all of these people to be computer savvy and, and computer literate. Yeah. And eventually we won't have a need for any of them because yeah. we're going to get our algorithms to the point, you know, there's going to be like low code, no code. I know there, there's um, chat GPT and GPT-3 and, and all of these other algorithms that do the work for us. Yeah. That essentially replace people. One of my big things that I was trying to convince the colleges to pay attention to is that the generation of nurses that we're training right now are literally the final generation of human nurses. I I, I don't think so. Well, we had this conversation a few episodes back. Yeah. Yeah. I I still, I don't know if I buy it. I mean, I I, want to hear, I want you to complete your thought, but I, I thought about it since we talked about it last. I was like, and I'll have a reason why, but go ahead, especially since I've been messing with ChatGPT. Well, okay, well, the, so I'll, I'll give you just a bit of food for thought to think about. So mm-hmm. um, the, the first time that someone was able to like buy a commercial airline ticket was in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. And then by the 1960s, we were landing on the moon. So from yeah. the first flights to, to, to space travel took 40 years. What okay. I'm saying, is the people who are being like, if you become a nurse today, your mm-hmm. career is probably 40 years old, 40 years long. I'm saying at the end of that 40 years, there won't okay. be a need to train another nurse to then do another 40 years because we're actually already building robot nurses today. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're, they're these really cool robot nurses that have like these child friendly robotic faces that can pick mm-hmm. patients up and put them on their bed and take their temperature and stuff like that. And they're, mm. they're never sick. They're never wrong. You know, they, they, they don't make mistakes and that type of stuff. And then, after, you know, post-pandemic, having gone through all of that, all of those healthcare issues with nurses getting sick and, you know, not showing up to work and being afraid of the virus and all of that stuff, what hospital isn't trying to figure out how do I get rid of this human capital and automate as much of these, these processes mm. as possible so that doesn't happen to me again? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in general, and I know this isn't on crypto, so we should turn it there shortly, no, but 
but uh, but I I think that technology is an important component of us talking about crypto, um, it, because like it it affects so much of it. But my pushback is when I see Chat GPT, I like I we're are we've already literally integrated it into our website company services, and. Yeah. It's code complete. I can ask it to write code. My next experiment is can I have it write a WordPress plugin code complete for me? And I'd like to see if it could do that, even a basic hello world kind of function from a code perspective. Um, but what I started thinking about this from website design. And, uh, and I think that this is true of a lot of things. And that is of a lot of things that AI could replace. This soft touch is becoming more val my my prediction is that in 40 years the mechanical functions of nursing that you described from diagnosing to turning a patient those sort of mechanical things will just be unnecessary but humans no matter what our radar get adapts to that quickly we've known this from a lot of things and i think we will value more and more things like i would generalize as bedside manner Yes, human hu human function. So you're right about diagnosis. You're I, I think you're right about all that. But we'll be trained. It, it'll be nursing, but it'll be different. It'll, it'll be, be different. It'll be yeah. it'll be stuff like that. And I mm -hmm. think that like we're gonna see this with like crypto. Like, like if we could turn the conversation to crypto on some of this. Yeah. Like like it's gonna be so easy to use these tools to fire up the next Shido token, right? And to fire up the next use case. But I think as humans, just like we did in the Dow world, like when we watched Dow's balloon, at first we were like, this is the coolest effing thing ever. Everything's a Dow. I'm oh, going to nah. make a Dow for them to Dude, vote on which piece. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was, like, that, this Dow's going to buy the Constitution. <laughs> yes, this Dow can start a soccer team. You know? <laughs> and, yes. And we, and we touch it so fast. And I, I call it calibrating our bullshit meter. Yeah. We calibrated. With every new technological wave, the pace of calibrating our bullshit meter gets more and more refined. So we cycle through new technologies and new innovations quicker. And what we come out on the other end is, I think, a very strong intuition. Like, I don't think this Wonderland bullshit's going to make it. And it's like, like, we know that, you know? And so now, here's an example. In my phone right now is the third pitch for an MLM this week. What and is you're it? Like, oh, tell, me, tell me more about it. I'm fascinated by MLMs. Well, I, I mean, and you, you and I talked about this. I love MLMs, but the downside to MLMs is they do the worst sales training. It's great for, as a young 20-something, to cut your teeth on sales training from an MLM. And I think every young 20-something should be involved in something like that. Maybe not directly an MLM, but something up, like Victor? that. My man, Victor. Hey, Victor, up, Victor? Drop, drop in the in the comments what you're looking at this Tuesday. We're going we're gonna to shill it for you. Um, nice. <laughs> <laughs> but this one is Amway and Amway has been around for a long time and everyone's like, Hey, I've got this new business. No, it's not Amway. It's this, uh, I think for a long time it was quantum or something. They changed the name of it to something else. And now it's back to being Amway, but the sales training is horrible. This person's like, Hey, you want to connect and, and exchange websites and talk about what we do? I said, sure. So I sent him my website. <laughs> 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 so, so, so that's just and, so and don't get me wrong amway's made people money and mlm has made some people some serious money and i learned how to sell from mlms i really did 
I, a dead serious. But in but as a 40 year old now, it's such a put off for someone to go, hey, get into my thing. And today, one of the invites, let's exchange information. I said, great, let's talk. And he just sent me a, his link. And it was like, I won't tell his name, but it was like stevo.amway.com. I'm like, what the? There was no personal touch. And he said, well, well, OK, do you, you want to get on a Zoom call? Maybe I was like, OK, I, let's talk face to face. The Zoom call was a cattle call. For, for them selling and going, hey, here's a product. By the way, would you like to learn an extra two to $400 a month? Just sharing great products with other people. And the guy wasn't even there. Mm, yeah. And so it's so depersonalized because they're so petrified from sales and they're convinced that they're shortcuts and hacks to selling. And this is the, pro and, and Jared, you ask about, you're curious about MLM. This is, this is MLM standard playbook. Standard playbook, a bunch of non-extroverts not interested in learning how to sell really are shilling stuff they don't believe in and they're doing everything to avoid the gritty work of sitting elbow, they call it, in sales we call it elbow to elbow. And in Zoom it would be different, but sitting elbow to elbow to someone and having to listen and navigate their objections. And they're just avoiding it at all costs. If I can get you on a cattle call and I have a group, oh, here we go, oh, Tristan, bro, and, and I have good friends in Primerica. And Primerica's the insurance one. You guys seen Primerica? No. I'm glad I haven't seen it. They have insurance and they have financial products. I actually have a, um, a key person insurance for one of my businesses with Primerica because I just have a really good buddy in it and the rates were good. I'm about to switch up on the products. But, but, but the exception, these are exceptions that prove the rule. These individuals are exceptions that prove the rule when it comes to MLM sales. Let's, let's, let's actually turn that question a little bit. Do you guys believe that you have actually learned actually how to sell? Uh, no. That's I interesting. So. I would have, I would have, I would have thought Jared would have said absolutely yes. And Jay, you would have probably said, well, I invest in myself and somewhere in there. <laughs> somewhere. Jeff sell, <laughs> Jay, Jay sells himself every day on investing in himself. <laughs> No, you, you're probably right about. I I feel like if if I if I needed to sell something, uh, like I've done the the research that I could put together a pretty good sales pitch. But if you mm -hmm. say, Jay, sell me this thing right now, I'll probably sell me this. Yeah, yeah exactly. sell me this. Yeah, the Jordan Belfort. No, I haven't. But I think that this. Let's segue into uh, like crypto and stuff yep. like that, because otherwise people are gonna see. <laughs> David Patrick says I invest in mint Oreos. Yes. David, David you don't have to sell me hard. But... David, buddy from Lakelet. David, you don't have to sell me hard on mint Oreos. Now, David's a technologist, and I recommend both of you boys. Friend him on LinkedIn or Facebook. This guy is in high tech, and we've had great tech conversations over the years. He's a real good guy. But yeah, you sell me this Oreo. You don't have to sell me at all. Just wave the Oreo in my direction, and that is a product that sells itself. <laughs> there are. <laughs> now, here's a great one. Tristan, influenced by Robert Cialdini uh, and story selling. Two best starting points for learning how to sell. But segue, Jerry, you were going to segue to, to crypto. Talk to me. Yeah, I was just going to segue that I don't think that good products need salespeople. And I think Apple has totally proven that. When you go into the Apple store, no one's ever going to ask you to buy anything. They're just there if you have questions. They're literally told, like, not to sell people things, you know? Like, I disagree 100%. So when I, I get it. Crypto and NFTs, when someone has to try to sell me on something mm. and tell me about how great it is and I can't look at it and be like, eh. You know, like there's no salespeople for Bitcoin. You know mm. what I mean? Like there's no CEO for it. So it's just kind of like 
do you want to invest or do you not? And that's how I feel about Apple. So when I think about sales, I really think about it's it's something that either the there's a there's an there's a mis, there's a there's an imbalance in information between the seller and the vendor. And what I mean mm -hmm. is that vendor probably doesn't even know how good the thing could potentially be. So yeah. then the salesperson is there to add the color, add the flavor, to bring the person all the way home. Yeah. But sometimes I feel like with some products, there's actually not that. I don't know. I'm a super minimalist, so I don't really yeah. buy anything unless it's going to, or utilitarian, unless it's going to give you utility. Yeah. I don't buy things because of FOMO. I don't buy the new Gucci watch because it's cool. I, I don't have anything that I don't need. So I don't know. Yeah. I feel fairly impervious to sales. Um, but then again, I live in a capitalist society where, you know, the clothes I wear are some level influenced by market, market moves and, and, uh, stuff like that. So anyways, my point being that I think when you look at crypto yeah, and we look at adoption and we look at the ones that are going to last, they're the ones that don't need salespeople. They're the ones that offer something so good that people are going to find them. Uh, um, and so, yeah. <laughs> so just so everyone knows well, with zero. With zero uh, pivot in the conversation, Victor, DGN News, Shido, Char looks good. Hey, this is the real DGN News I want to know. Tell me about your flash loan millions, bro. Bring it. I yeah, hear. I I looked into that, <laughs> and that just looked like a bunch of, uh, it looked reminiscent. It gave me a PTSD to Wonderland, so I was like, ah, I'm good on this. If I might respond and then shape this into a question, and what, I what believe- is gone? Uh, I'm not sure about Gong. Gong uh, David, uh, well, we'll look Gong up, David, and I appreciate this. And David's riffing with Jared a little bit and taking this further. I do believe customer value and trust drive adoption, but I would say this, Jared, the examples you gave are technological revolutions that are sure. undeniable. Um, and keep in mind, people rejected it and still reject it to this day, and it takes maxis. You, maxis like you are selling and having to sell Bitcoin every day. It is not self-evident. And, and it was self-evident to you in a revelational moment. But, but the reason I disagree with Apple is this. Apple does not need sales, not because its products are so good. It does not need sales because its marketing is so good. You have been pre-sold. Sure. And this sure. is powerful marketing. I think the products are good, but I question how much the placebo of the marketing makes me love the product and value what's going on and so when i walk in the store no one has to sell you're right because you are so pre-sold from the moment you walked in that door go ahead jay you see like you got something. i i i was also going to say that they do sell the products it's just that they outsource the sales of it it's, it gets outsourced to, to the telecom companies if you walk into a verizon store and you try to buy that's phone, very true that's very true it gets outsourced because those people will hustle you those people will have will. you walking out with three iphone 14s <laughs> exactly. and you're like i don't even know i got two just in case my my first i got forget my kids i lose my you're right because my verizon sales rep i hate marissa knows i hate going to the verizon store because they're <laughs> no, like because they got bro. you they got i got one in my bathroom i got one in the shower i got one in my car in case I and end you up need this ditch. google mesh network in your house because the wi-fi is not too strong it's like oh shit you're right yeah, that is too bad so, but so I anyway this i don't want to dismiss your point about like truly revolutionary technology i would i would agree with you from this regard there the the amount of sales for a true zero to one innovation like Bitcoin or a blockchain is far less than the lift of other products. It's a spectrum, right? And I'd say like sure. things like Bitcoin, which are obvious, um, 
are like, wow, this is nuts. And, and those who get it, get it. And it's just going to take a while to get there. Maybe Apple is like a little in between there on the spectrum mm -hmm. where the pro I'll tell you, the, the only Apple product that I think did sell itself was the original iPod Nano, the original that clipped. There was no screen. I still this have was one. Do you? I'm jealous. This was the I best device one. I have ever used. The one with the, the circle, the thing? The circle. No, I have one. Hold up. Let me find it. The one, the one I'm talking about is what Jay's talking about. It's square. It clips on. And. It, oh, I did the little one. The, the tiny. The little one. The little, That's little right. One, yeah. That, that did sell itself. Hands down. That's it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Doctor. I cannot believe you have that. I'm jealous. So, so I've had this and this one, you can even see if you can see the eyelets dented, but yes. I can still get the headphone yes. jack in. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, actually have ever. I actually have another one and I saw it on Facebook Marketplace for five bucks a couple of years ago and I just bought it. I said, does that charge? Oh, that's do you brilliant. have the connector? And the guy said, yeah. And I was like, oh, they, they don't make these anymore. And when you're going to go on a run for wherever, there's nothing better, especially if you're in a city and or if you're in a place where you don't want to get robbed and i've spent time in places where you know i run through neighborhoods that you know i wouldn't want to be carrying an iphone through and mm. no like take that no one wants it it's so low tech <laughs> People yeah you want it so and the battery life is good it's super light and you don't have to like figure out you're not carrying anything in your hands um yeah. but so okay we got gone equals customer david david says gone equals customer insights and conversational intelligence used by b2b sales teams for coaching I'm going to cry now. Shit. Four years has passed uh, <laughs> versus Corp. Uh, the same was true early with Apple. Those at disposable income were early adopters. Um, those early adopters sold the masses. The same will be true, true with cryptocurrency as returns and value play. I think he's right. I mean, I guess, yeah. I guess here's my thing. This is interesting, and we should spend five more minutes, and then we'll spend the last half an hour if you're listening and you're dying to hear what the actual episode's about, and we're not yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about. You <laughs> know. That's okay. But it is okay. <laughs> and, and I think, but I guess I just kind of like, what are, what are for grant for you pushing? Like my thing was that you don't need salespeople. I think you're totally right with marketing, but the conversation wasn't marketing. It was sales. So okay. you want to throw in marketing fine, but like, where do you need sales? Like where in society does a salesperson add tremendous value? You, you raise a great point. And I think, um, I would augment the vehemence of my response from earlier, uh, bouncing against david's comment put together with your comment uh, you're right we uh you know you uh apple doesn't need salespeople yeah because of marketers or these um uh co-opted salespeople called early adopters you're in and us right now we're selling people on this ipod nano we're selling them if they heard this and they heard us rave about it it's like someone looking at a five-star review i want one um, now exactly i mean exactly it's so good it's and so, so we're selling. And, and so this is the point people make when they say, you don't need sales. You just need a great product. And my response is, is could we just add nuance for the young people in the room? Someone needs to sell this. Whether it's the Verizon rep selling my iPod phone, whether it's Steve Jobs and he's the only salesman from the entire company when he goes, one more thing. That is just, it gives me chills when I think about that from Steve Jobs. He's the only salesman in the entire company, but someone has to sell. There's some component. So I would say in today's market, though, you would really love this, Jarrett. I'm taking a master class from, um, God, the sales guy. I forget his name. I'll think of it and post it later. But I'm taking a sales class. And 
he makes this point you just made. Up until recently, sales has largely been arbitrage between the salesman and the buyer. Over he said the that information not, about the product. He said that is not the case anymore. Yeah. He said now the job of the salesperson is not to, uh, in, a, uh, in a strategic, artistic, timely way, release data to the buyer. He said the job of the sales rep is to affirm whether or not, not, not affirm them that it is, to affirm them whether or not it is a good buying decision yes. by, act by actually solving and extracting the problem they're trying to solve. Yeah. And, and I, assuming I, they're in the home. Go ahead, Jared. Or Jay. Go ahead, Jay. Oh, to, to piggyback on what you were saying, I think, Jared, you asked earlier, you know, where where salespeople effective right now i think it would be in like something that's high ticket or a place where the uh an industry that's a little saturated because then you you need that salesperson to affirm that you are making the right decision mm. yeah or, yeah, or to, to redirect go ahead jared yeah or to redirect i was listening to alex Hermosi talk about this and then tristan i'm going to get to your comment as well as david's uh, and he was just saying, you know, he was basically saying how he became a salesperson and how that changed everything. And I do yeah. think back to Naval Ravikant, he's like, you either build or you, or you sell. And if you can do both, you're unstoppable. And the best example is Steve Jobs. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but he was saying the other day that a lot of salespeople now, because there isn't this, you know, in the 1960s, when you walked in to buy your Maytag refrigerator in the United States, you knew nothing about the specs on this refrigerator. It yeah. wasn't the internet. You couldn't, you maybe had to get like a Maytag lookbook but even that was only given to the distributors or the yeah. you know wholesalers so you mm -hmm. had all the information and you could blow them away with it and then you could come up because you're probably doing financing in-house so then you could you know fight the guy across the street because you basically had the ability to give this person a better rate whatever it was whatever yeah. mm -hmm. but now with the internet it's kind of like my buddy who i grew up with and we went to high school together or we, we went to high school together and he's back teaching at our high school he always has been since he graduated college and he told us, he's like, oh, it's horrible. These kids just pull out their smartphones. And I'll be like, oh, this happened in this year. And they're like, really? Really, Profe? You think so? And then they looked like, actually, it's a year off. And he's just like, what am I really teaching at that point yeah. when they have all of the answers in their phone? And I just feel the same yeah. way, I guess, just about sales. I do think high ticket matters. And I think that this is an interesting one. And this is going to irk anyone who's in real estate. But I think real estate agents are dead. They've been dead for a while. I think uh, Redfin is absolutely destroying them. And I think the yeah. new age... They're just not really going to care to have someone come hold their hand to do it. There's going to be, and after what we saw with this past run in, on real estate, at least in the United States, where people were waiving inspection, people yeah. didn't care. People just didn't care. They didn't, they didn't need all these, like, they didn't, need it, they didn't need warm cookies when they came to the open house. They just wanted a place. That's it. So I do think that, like, moving forward, uh, like, anyone who's in a job now, and I think about my own you know, security moving forward with what I could add value to the world. But it's like, if you think you're irreplaceable or your industry is irreplaceable, you're in trouble. <laughs> that's like my, yeah. you know, whenever you think you're irreplaceable is when you're about to be replaced. That's just how like hubris works over a long enough period of time. Um, but I'm going to shout out Tristan's, uh, Tristan's and, and David's comments and then pass it back to you guys. It says the transference of certainty to validate the prospect's own thinking. Jordan Belfort. Love that. Uh, information broker, pain elimination, disqualifier of fit. Exactly. Yeah, disqualifier um, fit because you earn trust. We call that a trust agent move. 
when you listen to someone, you go, ah. and I've even done this with David. He, he and I got on a call once for one of his data analytics services, what, like his targeting that he can do for advertisement and geo is nuts. It's like next generation. Yeah. And very quickly on the call, it was like, listen, I'm a small potato and I cannot cut the check that you're talking about. And I don't even have like the supply chain to deliver the volume of clients. And so right. I got disqualified right away. Uh, and then real quick, I just put the notes there. It's Daniel Pink's lesson on sales and persuasion. And, nice. and um, it's not just about persuading someone to do what you want. It's persuading someone uh, like Daniel, uh, David is saying, uh, they might not need to do it. And you need to persuade them to not do it because it's not in their best interest. Um, which is, I actually, someone came to me this morning at the gym at 5 a.m. Hey, you do that website stuff. I want you to handle my marketing. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. And I said, no. We do not do marketing. And I said, let's talk. Man, I can point you the right direction. That's my euphemism for disqualifying them. For it's sure. Like, let, let me point you the right direction there. Um, where are we at here? Binance buys US or buys Voyager. The audits, the crypto audits are stopping left and right. And MetaMask is partnering with PayPal. Where do you guys want to start? So I want to start with the Binance US. Uh, I feel like uh, this is all new to me. Like I missed all of these. You're under a freaking rock. Well, I did. I, well, it, it, you like, signed up to come on this show. Come on, buddy. <laughs> well, one year, one one year happens in a week in crypto. So go ahead with Binance. What's your question? What's well, your no. So I I did actually I looked up more of the MetaMask PayPal deal as well as the Visa and Ethereum, and I was reading some articles on that. Um, yeah, I love this. David, uh, David as well. Find me on find me on Facebook. I actually reshared something of Grant's today. And actually, Grant was recently on my podcast, More Than Blockchain, David. And you should definitely listen to that. Uh, the most recent episode, 54. I think it's super solid content. Um, but uh, so I actually have not looked into Binance Buys Voyager. But the second I saw that headline, it felt like everything that SBF did between August and September and October, where he bailed out BlockFi. He bailed like they, you know, they acquired them and they basically just kept them on stilts. And so that's what I'm seeing with this. Like the way to show the way that like Sam Beckman Freed kept giving confidence to the market was he kept acquiring things. So you think, oh, he's got money. You don't think someone who's buying houses is broke, right? That's just not what goes through your head. You're like, oh yeah, if he's buying homes, he must not be broke, right? So when I see this buying Voyager, I'm like, what are you doing? I also just don't think Voyager is a very good product. I looked at it and I opened an account. I never put any money into it. Still get the emails because I like to read them because I think it's, it's interesting to see their copy and their messaging. But to me, it, it's like we're going into a bear market, dude. You don't need to acquire them. I think it's mm. this weird thing where it's like this control and power. And I saw it before the SBF. So I've been telling everyone to get all their money off Binance US and Binance in general. I'm fairly worried about what's going to happen. It's just I'm feeling PTSD from all the things we've seen with uh, SBF and FTX. I thought Binance um, has a degree of autonomy. Binance US has a degree of autonomy and their reserves were in a far different situation than Binance Global. Was, do you guys know anything about that? Have you heard anything like that? That may be the case, but when bankruptcy comes, I don't trust anything, so. Yeah, I had, I had money in Voyager. They were offering the absolute best rate of return on staking. So I ran my experiment when I started all my experiments last year or the year before, wherever we're at now. And there were solid. 
And when it started to get shaky, I started uh, withdrawing my ADA. My car I got all of my Cardano out because I was getting a stupid return on Cardano, like 9% a year. It was crazy. Exactly. Um, yeah, but I pulled my Cardano out and my, I, my USDC is still stuck there. And my Voyager tokens themselves are there. Now, uh, I did notice the reason, I, this, the reason this headline is here is I noticed that Voyager popped 30% yesterday. And I was like, what? But oh. Luna did the same thing when they tried to re revive or resurrect that chain when they floated to new Terra and then they spun off Terra Classic. Um, but I just looked and uh, it's not that much better off itself. But, but this is an interesting take. You think this is a um, posturing to put confidence in the marketplace? That's what it seems like because I don't think that Binance US needs Voyager. Binance US is already a really good product. It's worth a lot of money. I don't know why you would need Voyager. Like I don't, I don't see how that would help them gain that many more people when the story in my head is all the people from Voyager are then going to have to go to Binance and Coinbase. And they're likely going to choose in the US. They're likely going to choose Binance because the fees are better. That's why people choose Binance. Yeah, the UX is better on Coinbase, but the fees are so much cheaper. Um, so, you know, it's why a lot of people start with Coinbase, myself included. But then when I realized Binance, yeah, the UX wasn't as like sexy and it didn't make me feel like I was on Uber or any one of the billion dollar apps we're used to. But yeah. once you get used to the fact that the UX is just a little bit more utilitarian, I don't know. There doesn't seem like I, I don't get what they gain from it other than looking like they're not in trouble. And since there's been so many rumors about them being in trouble, I get really worried. And I am actively taking all of my funds off Binance US. It's taken me a while because some of the withdrawals from USD is you have a limit per day, but like it's ridiculous. So anyways, I'm, I'm skeptical and I hope, and I'm normally a fairly overly optimistic person as my friends say like, oh, that's not going to happen. But I, this is one where I'm like, oh, I've seen this play out before. This yeah, makes me feel uncomfortable. So I didn't think yeah. about that, but now that you say that there's some, there's some logic there. Um, because, you know, I assume everyone's just doing the best they can to get by on the planet. Right. And when a company files bankruptcy, someone is, uh, it, uh, unless there's a sell off of all of the assets, someone's going to swoop in and buy stuff for pennies on the dollar and hope to extract some extractive value of some kind, whether it's a user base or whether it can't be the app. I mean, the Voyager app uh, has a good look, but not a good UX. Um, yeah. and, and I've been, in, uh, do you have an account there, Jay? No, but I, I think you, you're right when, when, when you said it, it might be the user base because Voyager is supposed to have 3.5 million users. Binance has 30 million users. So that's 10% mm -hmm. of their user base potentially. And uh, like I'm, I'm reading this article from Forbes and they, mm -hmm. they hey, what's up, Leaf? <laughs> uh, re reading th this article from For Forbes and basically they've been saying that what Binance is really doing, that there's an initial transfer of $20 million. And that $20 million just says that we intend to purchase your assets. And basically yeah. what, what Binance is trying to do is, is control the user base so that mm -hmm. when all of the debt collection proceedings are done, they then have control over these accounts and they can convince those account holders to either remain on Voyager or 
come to Binance and forego going to Coinbase. So like you were saying, Jared. And Jared, but Jared, you know, you're right from now that I'm thinking about like, okay, yeah, these companies say a billion dollars. And the, the way these agreements work is they do um, earnest money like Jay is referring to. So tw exactly. what's 20, what's, tw what's 10, what's $20 million? Well, it's a fraction of the billion we're promising. There's a due diligence period. And then we could deny the deal and we pay $20 million for positive market sentiment. That's not a bad investment if what you're saying is right, Jared. And then if we do our due diligence and it's a good deal because we are getting stuff pennies on the dollar and we, they have that many assets under value, chances are after they do you know, proof of reserves or a little proof of lack of reserves, maybe the deal comes in sub-billion, then maybe we walk the deal out and we pay that out over a decade. And it's like, who cares? So maybe, so maybe you're right, like in terms of a squirrely leadership looking for confidence building in the public, maybe it is that sort of play. I could definitely see it have that effect. It had yeah, that effect I mean, on me. Yeah, I mean, CZ has been playing 4D chess when everyone yeah. has just been playing checkers. Yeah, and, what, and what he did <laughs> to Sam Bankman-Fried, there should be an absolute Amazon documentary on that. And just You like and Kevin O'Leary. You and Kevin O'Leary. No, no, no. So here's the thing. I'm not on the Kevin O'Leary train saying it was just yeah. CZ. What <laughs> Sam Bankman-Fried was, did was bad. But the yeah. second CZ realized what had happened, that he had basically built, created all these FDT tokens out of nowhere to cover his Alameda. The yeah. second he realized what, what you know, the soup was rotten, he wasted no time in turning the sword, you know, <laughs> and, and he could have easily. So many metaphors said, in a single sentence. <laughs> yeah. If you can keep up with that, good luck. But he, <laughs> he, he could have easily said, Sam, let's get on a Skype, just you and me, you know, no one else. We need to have an hour long talk. I want to talk you through how I think this is going to go for you. I, you know, I'm here to support you. You're another leader in this space. Not I'm going to take to Twitter and basically tank your company because I'm going to spread fear and I'm the Goliath in the room. You're yeah. David. Everyone likes you, but I'm still Goliath. So mm -hmm. I, I, so the one thing I would look at is looking at BNB and if that, if that quantity is going to be inflated at all, because that's how Sam did it. He started creating all these FTT tokens out of nowhere because maybe he just creates this BNB and pays him a billion Right. But anyways, um, yeah, Tristan says, or the third party data sale, maybe Binance's bailout to keep them above water until the markets picks back up. Yeah, it could be that. I mean, or the third party sale may also keep Voyager out of huge issues because they still have to pay back their clients. You know, I think when something goes bankrupt and if you're Voyager, you're just like, OK, we don't want to make any more money. We just want to pay everyone back and stay out of legal and financial troubles. Can we do that and walk away with zero and have a huge lesson learned, which is worth more than all of this? Yeah. Great. Who can we do that? CZ, you want to help us do that? You could take all of our clients. We just want you to help them get their funds back on. That's basically what you're going to Can you keep us at zero? We can walk away. No financial, no legal problems. Great. Let's, let's, let's talk about what that looks like. You know, anyone would take that once they're on the other side of the court yeah. sword. So I don't know. But the the yeah. the Mazar stops. Can we talk about that? Because I think that that yeah. plays into this, you know? Yeah, and I've got additional notes. Well, how do you think it plays into it? And just let me give everyone the 100,000-foot view who's watching and might not know. Um, so FTX is obviously the hot storyline. In the shadow of all of this, it's auditing company, Mazars or Mazars or however it's pronounced. It's a French company, so you pronounce it. Um, they They dropped not only FTX, but they dropped all mention of crypto auditing from their website. And the follow-up headlines 
followed suit. Now, I have some nuanced details, but before I get into that, Jared, how do these talk to each other? How do they, re- how, how do they affect one another? The, 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 the Binance and Voyager and this? Yeah. Yeah, so I thought it was really interesting. You know, the whole basically, so anyone who's not, you know, maybe into what's going on with crypto and you're listening to this, Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX go underwater. There was a lot of fraud, basically like a Ponzi scheme, moving money around, taking eight to what, eight to 10 billion or $10 billion of clients' money and basically just using it for his own slush bucket. Um, so then after that happens, all the other- bucket. A slush bucket. That was so my nickname after- in high school. Nice. Uh, <laughs> say, that's for another story. Uh, and uh, so then what happens is the rest of the players come out and they're like, you know, Brian Armstrong's like, all of our stuff is one-to-one backed. Like we're never, Brian Armstrong, the, the CEO of Coinbase, we're never going to, you know, leave people out to dry. We're always going to cover our clients. CZ said the same thing. They all started to show screenshots of whatever. And then they all basically said, we're going to hire third-party auditors to come in and look at our stuff. So CZ, I'm pretty sure, gets Mazars to come by and do a third-party audit. That goes, it happens. And then shortly after, Mazars says, uh, we don't want anything to do with you. We're walking away. So as soon as the third-party auditors have come in to make sure that Binance is okay, they've just as soon left. And that looks really, really bad. You know, mm-hmm. if I'm sitting there and like, Grant, come over to the third-party auditor. Come look at my books and tell the world I'm not a fraud. You come over, you look at my books, and you're like, yeah, I don't want to take on this client. That's just not the 100,000 view, as you say, the 30,000 view does not look good. Um, yeah. And I actually think Binance is going to come out pretty good because they do have to give quarterly reports because they are a publicly traded company. They have to like Binance share US? that with the shareholders. What's up? Binance US is publicly traded? No, Coinbase is. Coinbase, got it. Coin, yeah, sorry, Coinbase is. Binance US is not. So anyways, uh, yes, Coinbase stock fell from 40 uh, to an all-time low of $35. And it... It uh, IPO'd at three fifty. Maybe numbers. I got the numbers right here. Yeah, it was it was plus uh, three hundred. I think it was at three fifty. And then everyone who had Coinbase stock from the beginning sold. Obviously, it went down to like one eighty two hundred. It was sitting around there. People were buying in, uh, and then it really plummeted over the last six to seven months. So IPO at three forty two, peaked at three forty three. Yep, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Got so. It. It went up one dollar, you know, around three fifty. I said three fifty, but it went for three forty two, three forty, three forty two, three forty three. Everyone sold. They got out all the OGs. They all became millionaires. Probably just waited a lot of them dumping it back in Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, I think it's weird. Jay, do you wanna you wanna weigh in on 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 your thoughts on Mazar stopping? I mean, I just don't think it's good. Yeah, uh, it it's not good. It's not good. Not not just for those companies, but for the industry. I think what, what what you're seeing happening is there are a lot of traditional financial companies like accounting and, and auditing firms that are saying to just saying no to crypto, either because there's too much regulation or the regulation is still, you know, undefined. And they basically, they're not trying to hang their, their company out to dry for some random crypto company that won't necessarily be around years from now. Um, like the, the example I use is can't even remember the name of the company now, but it was one of the biggest accounting firms in the world. And just so happened that their customer was Enron when Enron crashed. So did they, you know, because the, the, the reputation follows, right? And so you don't want to be the accounting firm who, um, who's been handling, you know, the FTX disaster or mishandling their disaster. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. I think 
I mean, I believe markets, 80-20 rule, I believe markets are 80% emotion. And there are technicals and there are, there are the 20% of the market that gets, you know, 80% of the results, but there's just a huge amount of emotion. And when you see these signals, everyone's looking for signs of confidence and certainty or, or signs of uh, not being the last one holding the bag. And that's what creates runs on banks. Armanino is another auditing company I looked up. So I, I did a little bit of research on this. Armanino was also an FTX auditor. They dropped FTX, but they kept crypto auditing services on their website. Mazars got rid of crypto auditing services. So my needle swung back a little bit and said, okay, well, this company was making some sort of ethics decision when it came to FTX, but not a broad scale sweeping uh, policy change for the entire crypto industry. Um, and when I started looking up a lot of uh, third-party proof-of-reserve sort of companies, a lot of them are still in play. And if you peruse coin market cap, not all, but enough to be represented, there'll be a link that'll say audit. And you can click to see if they've done a third-party proof-of-reserves audit. Um, but, but here's my question. How much do you trust? In the crypto space where money can move from one wallet to the next, and we believe there's total transparency, which I, I know there's transparency, but I don't know if there's total understanding. Meaning like we can see through all transactions, but in seeing those transactions, do we know what is occurring with those transactions? Can we tell what's happening? Um, do you trust the accuracy of these audits or do you think they're just pay to play and buying an audit? auditors are definitely pay to play ha having worked for a stock exchange yeah and and the ministry of finance and the central bank like, uh, auditing that's exactly what it is it's pay to play the auditors the they, they, they don't like work for the the regulators or anything like that all they're trying to do is ensure that the actions that you've taken you can present them to the regulators and not have to pay a fine or go to jail that that that's their whole job. interesting is it against the ethos of crypto to have an audit it seems like it is right because <laughs> if, if it's on chain it's all available like you technically you shouldn't have to audit anything if it's all on chain you should you can like have like kind of like a running audit you know it, yeah. it's always the date you shouldn't have to like historically check it and make sure that it's correct. Yeah, what, Jared? I, I think what Jay is pointing to, which is what a lot of people in the industry are pointing to, which is like maybe centralized exchanges aren't a good thing because while we should be able to see all this on chain, Uniswap, this didn't happen on Uniswap. This didn't happen on SushiSwap. No. When everything's no. on chain, no funny business happens. But when customers don't own their own keys and they're basically all just kind of like, if you think about a centralized exchange like this, it's like an entire massive gymnasium or huge indoor space. Yeah. And in there you go and you buy crypto and then you put it in your little lockbox and you have a key. But there's a bigger key that, that the exchange opened, that the exchange owns. And at any time they can just go open that and take your money. And all so the doors it's basically, open, yeah. Yeah, basically you have access and the exchange has access, which 
is another way of saying you actually don't have full access, you know? So mm -hmm. if you think of it that way, that's not the point of crypto. It's not for me to go put something in a, in a, in a, in a lockbox that this other entity can go get money out of. If yeah. I have my own lockbox, no one else has the keys. And if I want to send grant money, then I send them money. Yeah. I think this is pointing to a bigger thing where I just think in the future, like Coinbase, for example, I know there's like, I don't know, thousands of employees and I know a couple of people that work there and I wish them well for as long as they can work there. But I do think the longer in 10 years, Coinbase will have like, I don't know, 200 people. It will just be all automated and they'll just be, you know, trying to get more people onto the, onto the platform. But on some level, they're going to just be more custodial um, and they're going to do a lot more custody. I think custody is going to be the thing that's yeah. going to be, I mean, and Coinbase already does this. Like when Michael Saylor bought all of his Bitcoin for yeah. uh, MicroStrategy, he used Coinbase's enterprise, um, you know, uh, on ramps. And then he also does cold storage through Coinbase. So cold storage. I think Coinbase. he does cold storage with Coinbase. Yeah. Or they, they have some enterprise multi-sig storage mm -hmm. thing for Bitcoin when you obviously have a crap ton of Bitcoin and you can, you know, pay the, the custodial fees or whatever it is. So yeah, I just think long time. Fees, right? Yeah, because honestly, like centralized exchanges are really no different than banks. All you're describing with these paying off of auditors is the same thing we saw in 2008 when, you know, Bears, uh, Lehman Brothers were just paying off Moody's so they could get a good thing. So everyone was triple A rated. Exactly. 100%. And it's just it just recycles. It's just the whole thing. Like this is just That's PTSD for point. anybody. So, That's a very good point. Like you shouldn't have to audit the truth. <laughs> and the truth should just be the blockchain. So, so yeah, so it seems like it's a little bit of smoke and mirrors at the moment to the average to the simple mind. Yo, Which get out of here. What is just just talking? Yo, I love he's just sitting there. He's listening to us. He's probably at his day job on like an actual Zoom call, but he's listening to us and he's just bobbing his head on like his work call. He's just trolling. He says, which exchange will be endorsed by the WEF uh, for the 2030 agenda, though? Oh, which one do you guys God. think it is? It was going to be SBF, uh, FTX. But... I think it was going to be FTX. And so yeah. from that regard, like maybe maybe the revolution took FTX down. Maybe like we were preserving our interests from the 2030 agenda. Oh, I'm going to say something completely counter. <clears throat> I don't believe the 2030 agenda is bad. Here we go. It, here we go. <laughs> Wait, did he already respond? Tristan. Oh, <laughs> that's the Tristan. real alpha. That's okay, real. Grant, no, go ahead. He's not responding. And now we got to add extra time onto this because you're just. I won't go into it. We'll bombs. save it for another call. Well, we I, I don't 100% remember what was the, the 2030 agenda thing. The World Economic Forum published its goals for 2030. It's kind okay. of like. You know how like uh, the World Bank has its goals and then and the Paris Accords yeah. have its goals for so mm -hmm. many years out. The World Economic Forum has its own goals. And if you actually look at those goals and read it, and I've read the document, when you read the not, not the conspiracy documents, the published documents, which is all we actually have access to, I don't disagree with the desired outcomes. I think when this spins into its own conspiracy, which we know, Jay loves a good conspiracy. Mm. Um, and Grant loves to know them and then to poo on them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, mm, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. He just like, put some salt on it. <laughs> like, I'll yeah. get that easy. Like, yeah, man. Um, uh, it's, it's the tactics that a lot of the people, the antagonists of the 2030 agenda do not like the implications of the tactics underlying 
the desired outcomes for the 2030 agenda. And it, and it's so far out. And this is the other thing about conspiracies. They always look for something just out of reach to prove or disprove. And 2030 is far enough away. And the leaders of these things are just enough out of reach that they are easy pin cushions for all that's bad in the world. I, I myself do not ascribe to many conspiracy theories at all, uh, but, but enough people do for and against the, the 2030 agenda that this question is actually a real question because if the market is 80% emotion, what people think about things like this is 100% emotion. So let's entertain the question. If there, what is the replacement for FTX, which is the, the, the system Kool-Aid drinking centralized exchange that will look like it's for the people and it looks like it's rebelling against the man, but behind closed doors, it's working with the man. Which centralized exchange is embodying that? Gemini? Oh, God. Crypto.com. Crypto.com could be the one. And I just, look, I don't have any money on Crypto.com. Uh, I never had any money on FTX, never had any money on Voyager. I don't know, shiny objects. I'm just really trying to stay away from them now moving forward yeah. uh, with crypto. But maybe crypto.com because it's so ubiquitous. Uh, and if that goes down, the the wholesaling of that domain will be something to really, really see because the domain is the coolest part of that company. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's Coinbase. I think Coinbase has played really well with regulators. And I already think Coinbase is already seen by many as kind of like, more of uh, Anakin after he turns into Darth Vader as opposed to like Anakin the Rebel. So I, I don't know. But here's the other thing. In this down market, there's going to be a couple billionaires that are going to go and buy a bunch of Bitcoin. And when it 10Xs, they're going to go from 1 billion to 10 billion or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, they're going to be a real player by 2025. Maybe they start an exchange. I think we may not even have the player out on the, out on the, out on the, uh, floor right now who's going to do it where there is a long way away it is and there could be someone whose entire thing is i'm just going to cozy up to the world economic forum i'm going to cozy up to everything they're trying to do and play by their rules and yeah. make my money that way so i i tend to agree i think the way these people play chess um is not so master planned i believe that they set some desired outcomes and then they create chaos in different pockets. And as they create chaos, something rises to the top. For example, FTX kind of from a Darwinian perspective uh, could not be it because it couldn't weather the storm. So they'll watch for the next one. Coinbase is almost, it's almost, its position in the market is almost so fixed that it's not manipulatable if one were to subscribe to real conspiracies. It, so it's almost not going to be the obvious one. In fact, I think one will rise and we'll be like, we're the un-FTX. We're for the people. But it's bored and the way it go it's governed and its functions and maybe even parts of the blockchain will have backdoors and it will actually be tied into the system. And you could probably make a good case for some ISO cryptos because they have to play with the SWIFT banking system. So you could make an argument that one of them, and I think of all of them, the obvious one would be Ripple. Uh, they've they've been fighting the man, they've been fighting the SEC, and they're gonna come out on top. But behind closed doors, they're completely integrated. But they're yeah, not a platform. They're not a platform. Garlinghouse plays super well with uh, with the regulators, and he's always had that 
said that he would. He's not going to push against it. He he sees that being the rebel in crypto is not going to get you very far if you're looking for mass adoption. And I think he's 100% right. I want to touch upon one more thing as we wrap Please. up is the MetaMask PayPal. And I, I kind of looked into this. And before we even talk about MetaMask PayPal, MetaMask had allowed people to buy crypto through MetaMask using their credit card a while back, like even a month yeah. ago. Yep. And whether it's with a credit card or whether it's with PayPal, both on ramps that are basically, if you're, you know, uh, both on ramps that have KYC and AML done, I think they're antithetical to what MetaMask is all about. The whole idea is that you're masked. Your identity is masked and no one knows who you are. Therefore, they just see your wallet address. And so, so then attaching a credit card to it or a PayPal, it seems like, yeah, let me go to this swingers party and everyone has masks off and I just take mine off. Like it doesn't make any sense to me. So I don't really understand where they're going to get. And I think a lot of people are going to leave MetaMask because of this and they're going to go into other wallets. That, that don't have these on-ramps and aren't asking for KYC AML. Because the second I attach my PayPal, which has me and my social security number tied to it, essentially, to that MetaMask, I'm just, I'm on the grid. I'm on the well, grid. let me ask this question. I don't know if that points to an understanding, and, I, and not that I'm claiming to understand, mm -hmm. the, the actual security mechanisms of uh, MetaMask. For example, if I gave Jay, Mm -hmm. my my public address and he deposited a hundred dollars of ethereum into my metamask sure would they assume that i owned the originating account that jay sent me money or would they assume it was just a transaction paypal like there could be a protocol where this is just another deposit and though they can say for certain grant nadu deposited because of his paypal Grant Nadu deposited money to this Ethereum account, and in all probability, it is Grant, but in all prosecutability, can I say that for certain? And, and this, so this is a super good point. This is a super good point that when the government starts looking this, is that Grant's account or is that someone else's account that Grant is sending him $100 to? And I want to build on that. And I looked at the Visa and what Visa and Ethereum is trying to do. They're trying to set it up so that way you could have automatic payments on ethereum because right now you can't really set that up in the smart contracts um mm -hmm. that just far as i you know from this article and as far as everything i understood but having uh you know having something with an automatic payment month on month is huge for content creators if you could start to get paid in ethereum monthly hundred dollars of ethereum in one month it's 0 0.01 then it's 0 0.02 then it's 0 0.005 because of the volatility that's huge though and it's a small yeah. little happened it's a grain of sand in the entire sahara sahara desert that so but these things are getting really interesting and once again this also goes back to if you are using that smart contract through a metamask for example and you want to connect your visa and you want to do that um it gets really interesting but i, I love i love your point there because then it's like okay prosecutably I, this and then there's this and they're two different things so but anyways yeah who's used metamask and like that like and, and enjoys that when the money is sent there it's kind of off the grid now i know someone's gonna say oh they can look your they're totally not wrong um but they have to kind of do a little bit more digging than just saying oh it's tied to this credit card which is owned by either e this ein because it's a business or this social security number because it's an individual so i just think it's it's like well it's to be losing the reason why i think metamask is, exist existed at least and and again if we're talking about economics and moolah we're talking and markets, we're talking about emotion and whether or not 
I'm making, I'm even making a valid point that you keep using the word tied to your account. We have to ask technically, is it tied or is it, is it just a smooth uh, on processing of a payment? Like I'm looking right now, I could deposit directly from ETH. I could deposit from wire, like a single wire, MoonPay, Transact, and Coinbase Pay. Are these tied, meaning they stay connected? Like, oh, uh, these are permanently connected. Or mm -hmm. is it a one-off transaction? And like Jay's transaction to me is a one-off transaction. And if you have a regular payment like you're talking about, that could be an argument, but it's circumstantial evidence if you wanted to be prosecuted, if you were being prosecuted for something. So I, I, but all of that aside, technologically, you're right psychologically. The average, the average user is thinking, I'm a mystery to the universe because I'm in MetaMask and I'm at, I'm at a, what was that movie with the, um, Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise, where they were like, it was a, some sex movie and they wore masks and there was like, it was some weird film where no one knew who other people were. I'll think of the name of it. It was just awkward. Isn't that uh, oh, the uh, one where he like hurts his face or something? Oh, I don't know about that one. Uh, Isn't it Vanilla like, Sky? Like, like, like no, a high, no. high society no. type of party type of deal. It was yeah. this high society party. No, no, I like Vanilla Sky, but that was different. But, you, but, but you're right. It was this weird like, like, like sensual film when they were together still even they did mm -hmm. this film and it's like okay masquerade the masquerade ball no one knows who i am but you're absolutely right psychologically it's like wait i could be at risk here and we've known that metamask has been fraught with technical risks for eyes so long and shut what'd you say eyes Boy. wide shut yeah, eyes wide movie. shut that sounds like the slogan for metamask right now so that makes sense <laughs> There's a, a meme. There's a meme in that somewhere for sure. Addison just <laughs> says, interesting. Adam, Addison, stupid question. Are you in Houston? Because if you're not in Houston, I'd really like to know where in the world you are. Just curious. <laughs> but yes. Last name is Houston for everyone. That's why Grant's so <laughs> curious. I'm just curious. Uh, Grant, you want to do, uh, you want to do some shout outs or you, yeah, you want hey, some? Super shout out to you guys um, and super shout out to Victor, who's just like ubiquitous and ever present. I'm starting to believe Victor is God because Victor is always omnipresent. We, I, I feel like I could go live in the shower and I think Victor would pop in and be like, listen, Shido today. Let me tell you. Check I was going to say, you know. if Victor's God, then Shido is God's currency. <laughs> um. And to everyone out there who's still keeping their toes in the water in crypto, I know it's ugly. I know it's scary. Uh, not all of us are builders. Not all of us have any more money to invest. But for those who, in the middle of all of that, are still staying involved, even if it's shit posting, you're still involved because you keep the the oh <laughs> Addison says eyes wide shut. Oh, and he went to college there in Houston. Okay, I'm just being a bitch, but yes, thank you for that. Um, so shout out to everyone who is staying involved in crypto because there are there is uh, gold in them in our hills and we just have to be patient enough as we extract it. So that's my shout out. Jay, what do you got? Uh, oh, I had a good one. I just forgot it. Oh, gosh. Shout out to your HR. <laughs> no. What we I... won't open that. We won't open that up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, I, I've completely forgotten it. That's okay. Oh, I, I think I was going to say... Memory. 
Yeah, my, my, my memory is failing today. Maybe just shout out to everybody who's celebrating the holidays this year. Not everybody does it, but if, if you're celebrating, you know, shout out to you. And shout out to the 2030 agenda. <laughs> Jared, Jared you know, what we have been looking for a, uh, a sponsor, so maybe we'll have yeah. the World Economic Forum sponsor. <laughs> Tristan would hunt us down. I think, I think we'd hunt ourselves down. Uh, no, I want to shout out two things. I want to shout out uh, Leo Messi for finally lifting the cup that nice. I've four times before than that. And I also want to shout out everyone and like Jason for the holidays because we have, um, I think Hanukkah is finishing up this week. I'm not yeah. sure when Kwanzaa falls this year on this calendar because this year is kind of funky. Uh, yeah. And we also have Christmas this weekend. So we will not be on this Saturday. It's Christmas Eve. We will see everyone next Tuesday. Uh, and then we'll do one show next Tuesday, and then we won't see everyone to the following Tuesday, and that will be in a new year in 2023. So shout out yeah. for anyone who just understood what I said in the scheduling. Follow us on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Not Crypto Bros. And we will see everyone next Tuesday. Have a good holiday. For our last show of the year. Yeah, for our last show of the year. Last show of our first year. Thanks, everyone. Have a great afternoon. Thanks, Jim. Peace, y'all.